What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my co-host, Richard Harris. And we're brought to you today by our sponsors for the month of November, gong.io, lead411.com, find them, and perception predict. So go check them out. We're really grateful to have their support. And we're going to be talking today to Diana Hamister, who is coming to us live from a motorhome somewhere, <laughs> presumably in America. Welcome to the show, Diana. Thank you so much, um, Scott. Thanks for that intro. And Richard, thanks for having me here too. Yeah, undisclosed location. I mean, I typically don't like to tell people where I am, but I'll tell you guys. Um, I'm in my RV. I am traveling. I'm in the like Texas-Oklahoma border and looking to go on tour. And I usually hit up Mardi Gras. So I don't know if that's gonna happen this year, but that's been the plan every year and hopefully continue my travels east and, and up north, so. So do you do the RV thing? Like, is this an annual, like this is what you do in the summer? Or are you, and I know a couple of people who are the two vagabond where it's like, you can work remotely, you can do whatever and you just enjoy traveling all the time. Yep, it's full time, you know, and through this pandemic that we've had, it's been such a blessing because I mean, I'm in a remote location. There aren't many people around me. So I, I have the luxury of, of being secluded and away from people in less populated areas, which is super nice. Now tell everybody what uh, your sales background is and, and kind of what you're doing right now, what your role is, and, and that way people have context for, uh, for your story. Right. So my sales background, well, I mean, I had a, um, growing up, I have a family full of salespeople and I didn't realize I was in sales until I got into recruiting. So it took me many, many years to figure this out. I mean, two different degrees that were not sales related whatsoever. And, um, but I guess you could say I've always been involved in recruiting, even when I worked at all the colleges and universities that I've worked at, um, some form of um, involvement in that sphere of, of training and recruiting the college students in whatever environment that we're in. Usually it was housing, residence life. So, um, but when I became a corporate recruiter for an office solutions company in Dallas, I realized, hey, this is like sales, you know, I'm selling the company. And, you know, ever since then, I feel like I've been in that recruiting, community building type role. Um, I've made some transitions. And then eventually I became a rep for a local company in Dallas, um, Crudo Vodka. <laughs> and I sold vodka in the liquor stores. I made it on the Real Housewives of Dallas. I got to do a lot of really cool events. But again, teaching the reps how to sell a very competitive product and then also recruiting and training them as well. And so um, a lot of the people that I trained are still there. And um, I guess to this day, I've chosen to you know, work on my own as a recruiter um, for business to business uh, technology sales companies. So that's I what think, I think I need to interrupt because yeah. one of Scott's favorite TV shows is The Real Housewives of Dallas. It so. is. <laughs> <laughs> this is the biggest lie that has ever been told. Right. <laughs> so, but yeah. I, do, I do. And I'm sure you've told the story a thousand times, but um, hopefully our listeners haven't heard it. But. So, 
were you selling to them on the show? Like, I, like what was the, what was that? Um, that was about the um, our PR firm with the company. And I say R just because I was pretty connected with them. The PR firm of the company was connected to some of the Real Housewives and the vodka sponsored the event. And so I got to be a guest bartender. I mean, I appeared on the show for like two seconds, but technically I'm a celebrity, you know? <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it just was, uh, it's a hard product to sell. If you can imagine the competition, especially with, I mean, I won't name names, but you can only imagine you guys, you guys are in, uh, Scott, are you in Austin or? Yeah, I'm in Austin. I know okay. exactly, exactly who you're thinking of. Right. Won't name names, but, um, so, so yeah, I kind of paved the way for that. And, um, you know, I would say it's the ugly form of sales. I mean, you're in a liquor store selling a very competitive product to sometimes people who I, sometimes I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know if you should be drinking right now. If that, you know, I mean, I know it's rude to say, but you're not very nice. And I don't know if alcohol would help. <laughs> uh, so. Let me, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How do you go about positioning yourself and getting the messaging right and telling the right story in a super crowded space, right? Let's, we'll use vodka, for example, right. but it, it doesn't matter if you're selling, you know, a particular type of B2B software, if it's a crowded space, right. what, what has been your strategy and what advice do you have for people who are selling into a super crowded space like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me in that environment was uh, checking interests. I, I would ask them, hey, you know, are you a vodka drinker? And they would either tell me yes or say no or lie or do whatever. Obviously, you would, uh, you would ask. And then the goal for me for that short time span that I had was literally, I mean, just to make them laugh. I know that sounds kind of silly, but I mean, you, you have to lift them up in their mood and, and kind of break the ice and whether it's a smile or, you know, a, a simple compliment, I mean, they're there right in front of you and you really only have, you know, I don't know, two to five seconds to, to really grab them. So it becomes about, about the rapport and about the relationship a little bit. Is what yes, I'm absolutely. And listening to them and qualifying them and, and understanding, um, you know, based on what they're currently consuming, uh, you know, what the objections might be, mm. you know, and I could, I could line that out for you because I knew that like the back of my hand, right. I even wrote a manual about it. <laughs> so now how, now how are you adjusting from being, from doing field sales essentially yeah. to not be, I presume not being able to go to events and into stores, at least for a few months in stores and things like that. How did the, how did the sales process for you adjust? Yeah. And I left them quite a bit ago, but, um, before all this happened, um, I'm thankful that I don't have to be customer facing anymore. Very thankful, especially right now. Um, I, I, I work remotely with my clients. So everything that I do, uh, no matter what the project, it's it's all advertised online. Or if I'm working with my clients, I mean, I'm prospecting, you know, to those B2B sales leaders, those CEOs of those companies and saying, hey, you know, if you already 
you know, use a recruiter or if you need a recruiter, I'm here to help. We sign the contract and then work as needed together. Obviously with the pandemic, things have changed. I call it a game of really bad musical chairs, <laughs> especially working with the um, salespeople. You know, they uh, were used to getting those high base salaries, but like I said, in the game of musical chairs, things fall away and now they're expecting something that's not there. So, and I'm in the same boat too, right? So. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean they're expecting something that's not there? What does well, that mean? So supply and demand, right? People are looking for jobs and, at, you know, maybe their previous position, they were, you know, making a base salary of 70, 80, 90 K a year. Okay. And with, you know, the way things have had to change, the number of those types of jobs are no longer available. And so if I meet someone who has that requirement and I shift them to, well, maybe you want to work at a lower base salary with a, you know, a high OTE um, rate, maybe you can be open to that. And then they don't want that because they want the higher base salary that they had. And now it's competitive in that space. And I know that I, I've seen people still unemployed. Right. So they haven't they haven't accepted the reality of like, hey, you know what? Sometimes it's about just taking the job, knowing that this job is going to fill the gap. It'll get you to the next job because the market will turn. Right. But in the meantime, pay your bills, get some insurance and and you know, move on. Is that, is that sort of what you're trying to convince them or helping them realize you may not be able to convince them? Well, realize that, you know, we're as salespeople, we're here to earn commission and maybe I'm biased because I'm commission only, <laughs> but, you know, I think, I mean, there are possibilities for them to earn, you know, $150,000 a year. It's just that their low, their base salary might be lower and they have to actually be willing to work for it. Um, with the companies that like there, there have been some startups that have had to let a whole Salesforce go. I mean, multiple, multiple people. And I almost wonder as a startup offering, you know, 70, 80, $90,000 base salary to inexperienced reps that aren't actually generating revenue. You wonder why all that disappeared. If they were able to, through their efforts, sustain, you know, the revenue, they wouldn't have had to let all those people go, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that there's definitely, I've talked to a couple of different companies that, you know, 2020 turned into break even means, you know, growth, right? As long as we don't go less than what we did in 2019, then that's considered a, a revenue win. Um, but I think to your point, it is the supply and demand. Do you think that, so in your world, I think this is fascinating is that you're not just on the recruiting side, you're, are you running the whole HR department or are they just sort of saying, hey, can you help lay people off because we don't like to do it? Well, so as a contract recruiter, I do find them salespeople. That's all I do other than if they need, you know, an admin or some other mm -hmm. I do like to advise um, as well, but that's a matter of how, how um, it's a matter of the relationship with the client. Mm -hmm. um, I know what I'd like to see. I would like to see that they have their admin in order before bringing on salespeople. So, you know, when the salesperson needs something and your house isn't in order, they're going to get frustrated what? and they're 
hard times. So. What does that mean? Like that's a that's a really good phrase of you know have your house in order, have your admin in order when you hire people. What's that really mean though? Because I think that that's a huge piece of like turnover happens because you you know yeah you you may look really cool and and you know have shiny bright lights, but underneath you're just you know stinky. Right. <laughs> so. Um, you know, I, I've, I've talked to some clients who are like, yeah, I'm doing payroll. I'm like, that's probably not what you as the CEO should be doing in your company, right? Just like as a recruiter, um, you know, I, I would like to be the one to manage hiring the salespeople versus the sales manager. Because then listen, so we're now like the sales manager should be coaching the reps currently in place. And then you go down further from a foundational standpoint of the house needs to be ordered. So if someone needs to close a deal and they're relying on, you know, Jackie and billing and Jackie's spread too thin, well, what are you going to do? And then the salesperson, you know, misses deadlines, misses deals, all these things need to be in order. How are you, how are you prospecting these days? Well, I mean, sales, sales process look like. Yeah, absolutely. So I work on multiple projects and, um, how do you get them? How do I get them? (laughs) Well, I mean, I, I think I attract people more than anything. Um, I have, um, you know, as far as the, the recruiting, I've let that kind of slow in a sense. And I've, you know, I'm waiting for the market to come back and I'm still building those relationships with my clients. And then the other projects I would attract people to through um, various forms of social media. Gotcha. So it's mm-hmm. more, more, you're putting out content, trying to get inbounds. That's basically your like, prospecting strategy right now right yes absolutely and as far as yeah on the on the on the uh consumer side like what are you telling the candidates that you talk to that they need to be doing better now than ever before like Uh, like coaching them how to get get these jobs yeah absolutely my focus with them is that okay i'm i'm a recruiter i have a client all I'm here to do is to open you up to an opportunity. You know, I, I line out a few basic things like the salary range, um, the overall opportunity, the type of environment, you know, obviously we go over the location. It, it shouldn't be, you know, two hours across town or anything like that, unless they're willing to relocate, you know, just make sure it's a rough fit. And I explain that to them, you know, but at the end of the day, You know, it's up to you and my client to sit down together, face-to-face, Zoom call, what have you, and then negotiate. A lot of people say they will do that, but in reality, then they're trying to backpedal and then qualify. So even though I tell them, you know, once you agree, it's time for you to go, um, in my mind of, of like a true salesperson willing to take on opportunity um i just i I don't it it's hard for me to say because i i want them to be able to take chances (laughs) and then i'm I'm like you're you're terrified and like how do you know how do i make this deal happen if you're too afraid just to have a meeting so my encouragement to salespeople would be to 
you know, do your due diligence, look at every opportunity with a fine tooth comb, go full on in the process. Don't think that, oh, well, if this is, you know, for example, the salary is lower, I don't even want to talk to them. That's entitlement. And, um, and you never know who you're going to meet because that person that you sit with could be like, oh, I have a job for you over here with my friend. Just go, go to the meeting. That's it. What does due diligence mean? Because I agree with you that as a, as a potential employee, I need to know all kinds of things. What are those things you want them to know? I want them to be able to sit with my client face to face because I, I tell them, I mean, on paper, job description, um, you know, even the candidate on paper, you really can't see a person unless you actually see the person face to face and figure out, I, I think at a very basic level, figure out if you guys can be friends. I mean, because if you, I mean, if you get the wrong vibe from someone who, well, you think the job's great and then you're stuck with them, right? Like this is your manager and you're, you sit in a room with them and you're like, something's not right about this person. How am I supposed to sell under conditions where I, I'm, I just don't feel right about the person. So okay. what are those red flags? Like I talked to someone yesterday and, and I can throw out some red flags, but what do you think those red flags are that, you know, as a recruiter, you know, to your point, you may or may not know them and, and you're right. It's not your job to pull out all the red flags. It's your job to get the rep there or potential rep there. And it's up to them to figure that out. But what are those red flags in your mind that people should be looking for? Yeah, I, I think that they should be looking for um, trying to figure out if the sales leader is honest. Okay, this is not a bunch of fluff saying, okay, you're going to get an expense. Yeah, I mean, all these things you need to understand what, what it is that I'm receiving in terms of, okay, I show up, I do the job here. I mean, and, and a lot of that, yeah. yeah how do you can you coach someone to figure that out? Like, how do you know? Like, I think there is this sort of intuition and experience and this is, this is that wisdom thing, right? Um, we've, we've learned from our mistakes, kind of part of life. But, you know, if I'm a 23 or 24 or 25 year old, you know, trying to get an SDR position or I'm moving from SDR to AE still early in my career, how do you teach them to, to figure that out? It's, I mean, it's kind of tough, right? So, I, I mean, I would like to be their eyes and ears. So I advise them to speak with me. If, if anything feels off, tell me about it first and we can talk through it and then I can teach them. I mean, especially. Well, yeah. what, what would feel off to you? Let's say you're going in to yes. recruit. What would feel off for Diana? Um, if the company that I was working for promised me something and did not deliver it whether it was an expense account, I mean, um, something about my commission structure, if it was off, then I, I would start the red flag process. Um, but in terms of the interview, I think you can sense from people how they treat you. You know, the timing of their responses, the body language, um, you know, do you feel like you can trust them? Not, you have to, you have to remove the fact that that person is about to give you money, right? Like they're about to give you a base salary. You have to take, if they weren't giving me money to sign on to this job, would I 
want to work with them? Do I feel they're a trustworthy person? Do I feel like they will be there for me and coach me? Or are they not really interested in, in fulfilling their promises? Because it takes, it takes a team to work together, you know, in terms. Yeah, I, I definitely see the, hey, I'm just looking for someone to come in and get this done because I don't have time to you know, babysit you or hold your hand. I'll give you a little bit of coaching, but that's it. So to me, that's the kind of red flag I think you're looking for um, where they're trying to push off their own accountability. Um, so for me, it's sort of like, you know, how will you hold me accountable for me to do my job, right? Is the question I would ask the sales leader because if they can't answer that question, then I know that they don't know what they're doing, right? As opposed to how do I hold you accountable, which is a little threatening, I think, which I, you know, I wouldn't encourage people to ask. Yeah, absolutely. So what um, were you, you know, you talked earlier, I want to go back. Were you, you were surrounded by salespeople in your family, right? Mm -hmm. Were, were you the, were you the hustler? Were you the one with a lemonade stand or selling Girl Scout cookies? And I don't mean to be gender specific, but no, it's okay. just, you know, like what, when, you know, when did it when really did it hit on you? Oh, I, I just, I was always good at like convincing I feel like I was always good at sharing my ideas and um, I'm trying to think I did have a, a gluten-free muffin business once upon a time. So not far off from the Girl Scout cookies. Uh, Scott um, would be your favorite customer. Scott, yeah, Scott's yeah. smiling because he would absolutely start to buy them from you. Now. I, I need to, you know, I, I've stopped doing that, but I need to like give the recipe away. I mean, I feel like that's, that's where I'm at right now. So if I give the recipe away, Scott, you can have it. <laughs> I think you should sell it, sell it for 99 cents, download I know. it. Right, exactly. I should. Absolutely. But um, I'm, I don't know. I just, I, I just didn't realize it for so long. I felt, I felt growing up that I knew I wanted to do more and I did not sit with being a doctor, being a lawyer, being a nurse. Like I, I had, I had a different vision in my mind of what it was like to help people. And my personality was very like, you know, taking risks. And I mean, I, how, how many people do you know, like me that RV full-time by themselves? I mean, yeah. I am an anomaly. I walk around and I'm like, I'm the only one. <laughs> you know? I know, I know of one other woman who does this, the woman who built my first website and she's been vagabonding like this for at least 10 years, I think maybe. And they, they since, you know, they're still, they got done with the RVing and now they're on a boat doing the same That's thing. Awesome. Right. So, um, you know, she does it and, and her stories are fantastic, right? Like I'm sure you have amazing stories and you've seen a part of the world that we just, you know, of America that just, you know, you don't get to see. Um, you know, I, I have a question for you because you do travel around the world, right? And we do talk a lot about in sales, you know, the personalities, right? There is a, there is a um, it's not even a stereotype. It's a reality of, of the South versus New England versus the West. Like, what are what are some of the things you see as as traits and salespeople from different parts of the country that maybe people wouldn't think of? Like, right. It, Yes. And that's what that kind of goes back to like, you know, I can think of um, some of the clients I've worked for recruiting in the copier industry or even the salespeople. Um, 
I feel like New York is very fast paced, kind of cutthroat. You you might want to be careful of the characters that you're dealing with, right? I mean, is this person honest? And it takes a little more time to to process that. And, and um, you know, it, it kind of, you have to go through all these layers of a person, their online presence, their resume, um, their, their, their history, you know, their sales experience too to find out, is this a, is this a good sales rep or are they just blowing smoke? Right. Does somebody's, um, re- does somebody's resume still matter that much? Um, to me, no, I, I, I can see more about a person on how they choose to present themselves. And I don't, um, I, I don't feel like there's a right or wrong, uh, but it does give you an idea of even their own self-value and their own ability to communicate. So you're, so you don't think so from the recruiting side. What about from the client side? Are do employers still place a ton of value on an actual paper word doc resume? I think. I mean, I, I think that they. Yes and no. Um, I don't know how to explain it other than if it's someone with the you know the right parts, they're willing to take the chance and visit. Um, you know, and that's why they hire me to help out because, you know, they're looking for a certain type of person and they won't really know from, from the resume. Yeah. You talked, you talked earlier about the willingness to take risks and things like that. What are the risks that you foresee yourself in your business having to take in 2021? Oh, (laughs) well, I I would like to get my old clients back. Right. And so um, that that would be definitely a risk for me to to just go back into, you know, the copier industry and get my clients and um, also expand out to other businesses as well, other forms of, of technology companies uh, and be more competitive, because I I seem to think that the companies that offer, you know, larger base salaries, they're, I mean, it seems like they have the pick of the litter, if that makes sense. You know, we offer $90,000 base and we're not going to hire a recruiter because, you know, we've got it made. Everyone wants to apply to us and, and overcoming what that is, you know, it's like, it's like Richard and Scott, if you both lived on the same street and I didn't know you, and Scott, you say, Scott, Scott, you say, my house is the best house on the block. And I have to think, well, I haven't seen Richard's house. So how can you say that your house is the best, right? Like you're biased. So <laughs> I, it's a we don't live on the same block, but I still think my house is better than Scott. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but there's a level of bias. And then I think reps are too they're, they're too easy, too easily taken on the money aspect. Like, I feel like people are like, Oh, I would, I really want to work for Salesforce. If I had a dollar for every rep that I met during this time period, that's said, you know, I want to work for Salesforce. I mean, granted, it's a wonderful company. I know personally, without even doing any form of research that they have a high base salary. And I think that's what's that's what motivates people. And I want sales reps to be motivated by their own actual sales effort. Can you sell? Can you bring in, you know, multi millions in revenue to actually 
make your seat at the table be worth it. Yeah. It's interesting. You sound like you're a big advocate for commission only roles or for a larger portion of people's compensation mm -hmm. tied up in commission. I don't hear that uh, all that often anymore. What are, what are the big, what are some of the top couple of reasons why you're such a proponent of commission only? Why, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, if I was a job seeker right now, I don't know that I'd go for a commission only job in all candor. Well, but that that's a fearful statement though, right? Yes, I mean, like it really is. Like if you if you can't say that, um, you know, I mean, shoot, I was selling vodka. I mean, my base was $25 an hour, you know, working 14 hours a week in the liquor store and my commission was a dollar. And, and you know, I mean, I, I've had other projects that I was working on, but when they would write my checks, they would say, wow, is this real? Is she actually making this much? And they're like, yeah, she sells a lot of vodka. <laughs> So that willingness to be the best and to be confident in that, I, I believe is what makes up that, you know, a sales player. I mean, what else, what else would it be? So I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's more freedom, the lower salary you take, and then you have more security through being number one and generating, you know, multi-millions in revenue. Um, and, and then, you know, earning what you think you're worth, which could be, I don't know, over 150,000 a year. I mean, it doesn't matter in my mind, but I feel like it's more valuable when the salary is lower because it really says, okay, I, I earned all this extra instead of, well, the economy went south and now we can't afford you. So goodbye. What did that person really do? Wanna, I'm going to shift on you. And I, I actually think that's fascinating because we you don't hear a lot of people proposing, you know, the low base, high commission or, um, you know, commission only, right? It's hard and it's tough, but it's it definitely teaches you a lot. Like I can absolutely appreciate it. You know, Scott and I, when I met Scott, we were running a, a unique organization where I can't remember, Scott, what were we paying like? Just over minimum wage is the base, but salary, but we're, yeah, I want to say like 25K. Maybe right. 30K. It was for, for a rep, and, and we could get away with it because the economy had tanked in 2008 and 2009. Mm -hmm. But those who did make good money worked harder and they didn't necessarily work longer hours. They just were able to skill themselves up and pay attention and coach themselves or get coaching. I mean, that's got a big coach advocate. And so I, I've seen that work where you have the super low base, but the money's there. You just got to do it. And it doesn't mean you got to work 12 hours a day. No, I feel like you need to work smart. You need to take every opportunity of failure and turn it into a learning experience. Yep. I mean, I had to educate myself on like, you know, we talk about, I obviously can do recruiting. To me, it's so much easier to do recruiting than it is, you know, selling vodka, but I had to learn about my, my competitors and, you know, how to sell to different types of customers, how to qualify and, you know, fail a lot. And then to overcome the days where, you know, I just kept getting beaten down by these evil people. I had to figure that part out too of, okay, how do I put my game face on? And, and I still got to sell, you know, even right. though people are rotten to me. <laughs> so 
I, I'm going to shift entirely from this. So you have a doctorate of education. I started it. I did not finish it. Okay. okay. So we, we can't so call you doctor yet, but I, no, I would hear not you. Yet. So, um, but, I love but, to learn. Absolutely. But you, but you, you know, your whole background is around, you know, counseling, personnel services, a psychology degree, really understanding that human aspect. Yes. Um, do you think that's also a piece that's helped you gravitate into sales and be successful um, yes. in terms of that? And, and so, yes. what, so what do you take away? Because Scott's also got a little bit of a psych degree. and, and uh, I mean, it's, the, it's, the, it's the Western New York in her that just realizes right. how, how screwed up and fucked everything is. Just, right. <laughs> just trying to make sense of it. That's right. It's true because Buffalo, New York is a whole different beast. I'm like, I, I couldn't wait to get out of there. I, I felt like a black sheep my entire life, you know, and, and being in upstate New York like that was uh, not a right fit. A lot of a lot of people just have that down energy, you know, and I realized the importance of taking care of your health and I mean, even, even the sunshine, the lack of sunshine there, um, a lot of people don't see the value in that. And I realized I had to break away and understanding people and their motivations. I, re I really feel it does help you in sales. I mean, you have to help someone get to what they want and then communicate the fastest way to get there. Yeah. Well, um, that, that's fascinating. I, I know we could go another hour on that topic alone, particularly just between the two of you. Um, Scott plays this game too. He likes to play chess more than chess. Listen, it's not a game, dude. Okay. I, my family is from Buffalo and Niagara Falls. It's like in the DNA. Okay. <laughs> Diana knows what I'm talking about. Right. right? My, Diana went to Canisius. Canisius is a rival of Niagara. I, both my parents went to Niagara University. This is a real thing, Richard. Well, that's my point. We could go another hour on this exactly. topic. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, oh. Many, yeah, Buffalo. I, I, you know what I forgot to mention? I um, totally slipped my mind. In college, I was a sales rep for Verizon Wireless for four years, from sophomore year until the year after I graduated. So I sold cell phones. Uh, so that's where I feel like that was the real start in sales for me. <laughs> Completely no. forgot. That's good. That's definitely about a lot of product knowledge for sure. Yeah. So. Uh, we, we do need to start to wrap this up. So, we, you know, we always end our show with, you know, what can we do to support you? Um, obviously, let, know, let people know how they can get a hold of you if they have questions or they want not necessarily advice, but like if they're looking for gigs and those kinds of places. And by all means, tell people where you're recruiting for. Like, is it, you know, U.S.-based or is it in these particular areas? But yeah. aside from all that, what else can we help you with, too? Well, I mean, I, I'm looking to start a podcast soon. And so if you guys would like to be a guest of mine, that would be awesome. I would love to have okay. you. Done. Think about it. <laughs> there's no, there's nothing to think about. Of course. Just, yes. Do it. Okay. <laughs> I want, I just might want to have you grill Scott about being from Buffalo and just hear that right. conversation. How did I not I know that? From the uh, sense of dread and hopelessness of being a Western New Yorker oh, and, turn, and, turn, and turn yourself into a positive thinking success story. 
There's the title of the episode, Richard. That's that's exactly it. That's what I had to do is just break away from that. And I feel like, man, sometimes I'm way too positive for people. I just realized that it, living life that way, I mean, who are the, they're, they're like zombies. You're surrounded by zombies and you just, yeah. just don't want to, you victim. know it's not effective at all. Yeah. So, well, of course, we would love to come on. I think that's great. Whether it's individually or together, I know we would both do it. Um, where, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on Instagram. I'm on, where else am I? I'm on TikTok now. <laughs> they can, you know, they can get a hold of me pretty much wherever they see my name. I'm the only one. Are you, you know, I know TikTok's a fun thing, but are you actually able to, to find clients or candidates from that? Is that a, you know, that's a new social piece. Right. And so I am just, you know, I feel like a lot of salespeople aren't really on the social media. They kind of keep their stuff quiet, but at the same time they, they look. So, I mean, it's just any exposure is good exposure and um, I like to entertain others. So I'm there, you know, if they uh, want to check me out, but more of it moving forward, I see as a, an educational tool rather than anything, but yeah, I mean, I would say LinkedIn, I mean, but okay. each platform has a different purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Diana, thank you so much for, for finding, uh, for coming on. I mean, and, and obviously good luck on your safe travels and yeah. be well through all that. And, um, you know, I, I'm certainly going to have to at least follow you on Instagram to, to see, I'm assuming there's all kinds of like RVing stuff going on. So exactly. You're going to see a lot of that and, and hopefully on LinkedIn too. Thank you so much, Richard and Scott. I appreciate yeah. your time today. Same Our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much.